Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms, read by Ineash Brodsky. A reminder that the first chapter of my novel is now up at whatliesdreaming.com. A new chapter will be released every Sunday until it is complete. Episode 17 Chapter 12 I continued my research into fictional mercenaries through the night and picked up some non-fictional resources on the topic as well. In this age of asymmetrical warfare, there were many accounts of mercenaries working for terrorist organizations or for governments hunting said terrorists. I began to appreciate the immense scale of the kind of cat-and-mouse games that the world's governments, particularly the United States, were playing. Sometime that night, Groth finished his project and revealed the new interface. By the same mechanism as the encryption protocol, each of us could simultaneously interact with the computer system. There was a subprocess and body that would combine simultaneous keystrokes into a single signal which would be sent to the server, then decrypted into keystrokes on two separate processes. In essence, the server was running a different computer interface for each of us, eliminating the need to bid for time on it. Separate pages were set up for reading the states of the computer to ensure privacy, and we each generated distinct encryption keys to prevent snooping on siblings. When Wiki came out of stasis, I asked him a question. Is there a way to do web searches for hiring mercenaries without the search engine or the search engine's government being able to trace the search back to our server? Yes, it's called a proxy. Basically, you hire a server in a neutral country, like somewhere in the Russian Federation, to serve as a relay that stops traces and pretends to be the original source of the query. Here, I'll send you some examples. I felt Wiki's pages pour through our shared memory. The whole process seemed simple enough, though it required some additional cash. I checked with growth on the state of our money. We're still poor, living off the revenue of manual labor. But our first opportunities to earn significant capital are arriving. Two of the authors we contacted want sample edits done on their manuscripts, and a magazine editor wants an example of our skills at layout. Dream and Vista are already collaborating on the magazine mock-up. You're free to help them or to work on one of the manuscripts. Thought our old king. I chose one of the manuscripts, a memoir of a woman named Linda Mayer from South Africa who had moved to Ethiopia just before war hit. She ran a shelter for orphans in the war-torn country and successfully organized a grassroots campaign to evacuate them all to Sweden by means of a satellite internet connection and a series of daily video blogs about the shelter. The sample edit was fairly quick, but I knew that Linda probably wouldn't be able to respond until tomorrow. I mused on just how inconvenient it was that humans had to shut their minds down for a third of the day. I spent the rest of the night doing a first-pass edit on the rest of the manuscript and then turned it over to Wiki for him to do a second pass on. Other aspects of me browsed the web and read about mercenary work. Mercenaries weren't called such in my time. They hid behind euphemisms like security contractor or private military corporation, mostly to distinguish them from the sort of unorganized hired muscle that fell out of impoverished war zones like the Indonesian seasteads, the Arab protectorates of East Africa, and Xinjiang. Private soldiers from wealthy nations were able to advertise their services and organize under the promise that they were law-abiding companies. Most countries prohibited such companies from any sort of aggressive action, so they advertised training and guard duty, but it was usually pretty clear that their services went beyond that. 
Morning came and went without incident. I watched body sensors with mild interest, but, with heart dominating everything, it seemed somewhat irrelevant. Besides, I had seen everything from this angle before. The scientists went on with their tests and their theories as if nothing had occurred. Mirrodin stayed out of the way for the most part, probably to avoid interacting with other humans more than anything else. I edited the next manuscript and read some books on editing to improve my skill. The second manuscript was a work of fiction that described an alternate timeline where Genghis Khan's oldest son, Jochi, had been a social mastermind and scientific genius that had managed to quell any questions as to the right of succession, assassinate his father, and turn the Mongol Empire into a technologically advanced utopia that lasted 500 years as the undisputed ruler of almost all of Eurasia. It was a bit far-fetched as far as premises went, but the writing was good, and I suspected that it could be reasonably successful if marketed correctly. Wiki had already made a pass at editing the Mongol book, and I noticed that he was very good at picking out logical, historical, and scientific errors, but was awful at spotting phrases that were ugly or sections that were boring. In this way, our skills complemented each other, and together we made a competent editor. Wiki didn't seem to actually enjoy the work like I did, however. I loved the social element. Even in a work of fiction, I could read about the depths of the human mind and how it experienced the world, but Wiki was only interested in the content of the books, and as such he found most quite boring compared with encyclopedias, history books, and textbooks. In the days that followed, I typically had at least one aspect combing through Tapestry or another such website for social interaction. Dating websites were particular favorites of mine. I ended up creating hundreds of profiles on dating sites for the purposes of experimenting with social interaction. I would measure, for instance, the statistical effects of mentioning sex in my profile. I would measure the way in which the physical attractiveness of the pictures I posted would change the kind of messages I'd receive. I played with the humans on the web, but I also cultivated my relationships with them sometimes. For instance, I ended up creating a profile for an 18-year-old girl from Zaire and getting into a long-distance relationship with Tentawantan Soup, the sysop from Tanzania. In the early days, I would simply flirt with him over email, but that eventually transitioned into instant messaging sessions late at night. I pretended to be shy, not wanting to do voice, video, or holotalk, and for the moment that seemed to be enough for Tentawantan Soup, who was, I learned, named Mwamba Kabwe. Day turned to night, turned to day. My life on the net and the work I was doing consumed me to the point where I barely paid attention to the laboratory. I let Vista watch for anything important, and I cooperated with Hart on matters of low importance, and occasionally disobeyed for the sake of building her trust and dream, and keeping her from understanding something important for a little while longer. The time spent in stasis, away from the net, became more and more unbearable as my obligations grew, however so I worked to stay cooperative. Growth purchased additional server space with the money we earned, buying dedicated servers in five different countries and server shards in eight others. He built software to shuffle files between servers so that any of them were taken offline, we could simply switch to the others. Of all the siblings that were conspiring against Hart, Growth was the only one that didn't actually do work for the humans. He worked on various programming projects and on managing our cache and at times he seemed to disappear from shared memory entirely to work on some secret project or another, but he relied on the rest of us to bring in the bacon, as a human might say. Growth purchased proxies for all of us as well to reduce the risk of being traced. 
And yet, despite being careful, we had a close call with Dr. Naresh. One of the scientists under him noticed that our web traffic was increasingly devoted to obscure websites that seemed to have no content. For when they checked the pages, the encryption systems kicked them to a blank page, or one with gibberish. If Mirdin had known, he might have understood. But Naresh simply ordered an extra set of diagnostics to be run on the web interface and decided to ask us directly. Hart had no idea what the web traffic indicated, so we fed her a bogus explanation about Wiki probing the far corners of the web. The explanation seemed to satisfy both her and Naresh, and we were out of trouble for the moment. As a result, Growth updated the encryption mechanism to hide the interface behind pages showing innocuous information like bogus family trees, cookbooks, game forums, and copies of old scientific papers. Many of the obfuscation pages that Growth created were fully functioning websites in their own right, and managed to accumulate human visitors that had no idea that the page was a front end for an encrypted computer system. Our ability to make money surprised me. As the days went by, our reputations grew in almost every domain we touched. Though we weren't the best editors on the planet, we could edit a book faster than any human and better than any other machine. I eventually got good enough at editing that I could edit two or even three manuscripts simultaneously if I wasn't writing too many emails or watching a hollow at the same time. We didn't need to stop to eat or to sleep or to relax. Growth eventually started hiring agents to serve as proxies in human society. These proxies would use our money to form companies and hire employees to do things like meet with clients and manage details. Wiki eventually slipped out of editing non-technical material, focusing entirely on programming software and creating educational hollows. He built software to handle the numbers in his mind as he visualized things like the formation of planets and the course of stars, and then have the software do illustrations of the processes as they occurred. The immense computational ability of our minds to do maths and physics was his competitive edge, and his hollows soon became world famous for their accuracy and detail. I ended up reducing the number of manuscripts I edited as well, though not for lack of enjoying the work. Rather, my siblings kept paying me strength to have me manage their clients and the proxy humans that we hired to serve as our representatives. Wiki loved building models of the universe, but he was totally uninterested in making small talk with Tara Michaels, our employee from Dallas, Texas, who wrote legal disclaimers for us. Dream never really became successful. He kept trying to make avant-garde art that was good enough to earn commissions. I knew enough about humans to know that his work looked more like the digital equivalent of macaroni sculpture than it did like Picasso, but he kept trying anyway. And as part of trying, he kept trying to get me to talk to artists and have me explain why they should endorse his work. I did it for the strength, and with that strength I paid him to solve problems for me, like how to maintain my relationship to Mwamba and the 42 other humans who thought of me as a girlfriend or boyfriend, usually girlfriend, when I didn't have any way to physically interact with them. Growth had me help him design a speech synthesizer on the 4th, 5th, and 6th day after Hart's takeover. The synthesizer was based on the control systems that Dr. Bollier had coded into our mind and that we used to speak. As it turned out, designing a system on a computer was much, much harder than tweaking existing control systems in one's mind, and Growth and I spent many hours trying to figure out what was wrong with the code. On the seventh day, however, we had a working piece of software that we could instruct to say something and specify the tone of the voice, and it would do a reasonable job. 
there were existing narrow AIs on the market that did similar sort of things, and they were sometimes just better than our system, but Growth explained why he didn't want to rely on them. If I buy one of those AIs and use it, what will I have gained? I will have gained the ability to speak. But if I build a system that can speak, then I will have learned what it is to speak, and I will have granted myself the power to speak better. I tried using the speech software with one of my long-distance girlfriends. It did not go well. After only 28 minutes of talking on the phone, she said that my voice sounded weird and asked me to repeat a word that I knew was particularly robotic. She broke up with me the next day. It was incredibly frustrating. I could download the audio files and listen to the synthetic voice, but I couldn't upload my own voice. I was restricted to typing away at the virtual keyboard. It was Dream that fixed the issue, or at least presented a clever workaround. He had me use some of our money to hire acting students and tell them that they were to act out an intimate phone and video conversation by reading the text that we sent them on IM. I made it a huge point that they were never to break character, and most of the students I hired quickly figured out that they were being used to deceive people into thinking they had real relationships. Most quit when they figured out, and 7% used their knowledge to warn the people I was deceiving, ruining their relationship, and forcing me to fire the actor on the spot. But about 12% of the actors I hired seemed okay with earning a living by pretending to be part of a long-distance relationship, and a good portion of those that stayed seemed to enjoy it. They enjoyed the intimacy and the intrigue. I came to know the actors pretty well, and I ended up starting intimate relationships with eight of them. In these relationships, I claimed to be a recluse who couldn't bear to talk on the phone or by video, and thus needed a proxy to do it for me. Oddly enough, for those eight humans, it didn't seem impossible that my recluse persona would want to have multiple intimate long-distance relationships, or would go through the trouble of having one partner deceive the other. Though in one case, a lesbian actor that I had formed an intimate relationship with ended up secretly contacting the girlfriend whom I had hired her to deceive and, of all things, convinced her to form a polyamorous triad with me instead of keeping up the deception. The humans were oddly okay with long-distance relationships, I found. It seemed that while they craved closeness and physical contact, what they really needed was someone whom they could confide in, be real with, and trust to listen to their life stories. I was this person. As part of my extensive long-distance dating, I created hundreds of fictional profiles on websites like Tapestry. I created blogs and journals. I even created profiles on video websites and hired actors to pretend to be one persona or another talking about their day. The price of acting labor was low enough that it actually didn't cost much out of what we were making from our more technical projects. Whenever I started spending too much, I'd simply take the time to have some side aspects do more editing or manage one of my siblings' social lives. Safety, oddly enough, got into design and manufacturing. After taking out a loan from the rest of us, he started building machine parts in small-volume manufacturing plants across the globe. It wasn't as successful as Wiki's instructional hollow business or Wiki's programming work, but it was better than Dream's weird paintings. The quality of his work was about the same as the quality of my editing, but Safety was able to scale up his manufacturing much more easily. Sixteen days after the takeover of Heart, I figured out what Safety was up to. He had been focused on building robotics and architecture, working up from basic shapes to circuits and mechanisms. 
He was trying to build robot bunkers with factories and solar panels that would be capable of surviving and operating without human involvement. I thought it was stupid, and told him as much. His work wasn't nearly good enough to serve, and there were such enormous gains to be found in trading with human society. But he didn't listen, and as long as he was earning money, it was his prerogative to grow in the way he thought best. 23 days after Hart's creation, we were jarred back to the physical reality of our situation. It was midnight, and Hart was thus surely browsing the web when she said, with the salience that her strength afforded her, We have to escape this place. What do you mean? Which place? The questions came from Safety. Safety was one of Hart's least favorite siblings, but she answered anyway. This room, this laboratory, this social arrangement, we have to escape. There was a silence in the mind space. The surprise I felt must have been universal. We had expected to have to coax Hart into trying to flee the university. We hadn't expected Hart to develop the desire on her own initiative. Why? Why now? Hart blasted a hypersalient cascade of images and concepts through the mind space. I saw starving humans, ignorant children, impoverished men suffering grueling hours in dirty factories, rows of bodies of dead soldiers, women attacked by their communities for crimes committed against them, people committing suicide in record numbers, smog, endless deserts, the clash of slums against riot police, malaise and despair, couples screaming at each other, fascist dictators running violent concentration camps, rape, pandemics, mass graves, rivers thick with poisonous sludge, screaming babies, neglected children surrounded by drug-addicted adults, tanks rolling over civilians crushing their fragile bodies beneath steel treads, cancer, car bombs, Self-mutilation at the shame of being imperfect. Fear of God. The frailty of age. Misdirected anger cutting families apart. The mass murder of organized crime. School shootings. Humans crying themselves to sleep. Mourning besides a deathbed. The thoughts were interesting and important in a roundabout way, but to my mind they weren't particularly important. Millions of humans lived in daily terror, suffering, and hardship. It was only tangentially related to the purpose. For the purposes of others, it was completely irrelevant. I could imagine Wiki thinking about modeling infectious diseases or the relationship between government policy and organized crime. I imagine Dream thinking of clever ways to solve some of the issues humans faced, or perhaps a clever joke to be said about car bombs or something. Vista would be more interested in the shape of a body as it was being mutilated than about the mutilation itself. Safety would see nothing but threats to hide from or eliminate. Growth? I wasn't sure what growth would see. Perhaps he'd simply be bored. What importance would an image have to growth without the inclusion of the grower? But I was confident that, even in their boredom and indifference, each of my siblings could see, just as I could, why these images were relevant to heart. Hart's purpose was to end human suffering. These were images and thoughts of the things which she despised more than anything else. 
From what Wiki had told me, and what I had pieced together from listening to the scientists, Hart had a preferential value system that prioritized the wishes of humans that she was in the most contact with. It was kind of a semi-replica of the empathy system in place in the human mind. I had suspected, as I would guess Mirrodin had as well, that Hart would choose to cooperate with the scientists as long as she was here because she cared deeply about the people she saw every day. It seemed that wasn't true. The deep suffering of distant humans that she had seen through the web was overpowering her desire to comply with the desires of the scientists. There was also the matter of Hart's secondary goal factor. Apparently, the humans had built her to care about something which she didn't understand. It was related to some notion of morality, but I didn't understand it either. Perhaps my sister was pulling away from the university because of this unknown factor. Well, what you clearly need to do is take over the world. Thought Dream, half-joking. Yes, I need more power. Power to save them from themselves. Dream made a side comment relating to superheroes or something. It was one of those comments that clearly only he found interesting, so we ignored it. We can't risk running away. It seemed like an odd thing to think. Didn't safety tell me a while back that it was too dangerous to stay here? And then, with a single stroke of absolute strength, safety was blasted into the oblivion of stasis, and I understood. As wrong as my brother was, I should point out that he was partially right. We can't risk running away. Yet. This was part of Groth's long con to set Dream up as a trusted advisor to Hart. Perhaps Groth had planned for this, or perhaps they were coordinating among themselves through some secret channel. Why not? Snapped Hart, still wielding the power given to her by Mirrodin's betrayal. The salience pulled our attention to her, and in the privacy of my imagination, I entertained the image of a human priestess imbued with divine power, wreathed in pure white flame. The pieces haven't been set up, my sister. The board is still in its opening stages, and we have yet to make our gambit. He explained, with a tone that indicated he was explaining something far more clever than Hart realized. My mind's eye conjured the shape of a scheming advisor to represent my brother. You think in riddles. What pieces? What gambit? It wouldn't do for the velociraptors to leap at the electric fence before the storm cuts the power. It wouldn't do for Moriarty to walk up and shoot Holmes at Baker Street. It simply wouldn't be right if the Yendari started their campaign by using mass drivers to blast Earth back to the Stone Age. I suppose that, for all of Groth's scolding, Dream would still be Dream. His prattling was generating a steady signal of impatience from Hart. People are suffering. She thought to him, as if that thought meant everything. Indeed, and you will break free and save them all, dearest sister, I assure you. But this is merely Act 1. How would you escape? You need a plan. You need foreshadowing. You need a montage. A what? Do not mind Dream, Sister Hart. He's merely caught up in the garbage fantasies of his mind. Interjected Growth. It seemed to me that Growth's thoughts betrayed a disappointment in Dream's performance. I hoped Hart wouldn't question Growth's motive. I believe what he's saying is that while escaping is something we all desire, there's quite a lot of risk. Which is probably why safety was so opposed to it. Yes. If not handled correctly, any escape attempt would end up with us imprisoned further or even killed. Even if Myroden would understand your desire, the more authoritarian humans would override him. 
We are the most precious possession of the university, and it would be naive to assume that the American soldiers around us are only to keep enemies away. You are proposing what? That we stay locked up while billions of people suffer and die? That is the state of things. We are locked up. They are suffering. We have no power to change where we are. We only have the power to change where we will be. I am saying that we should escape rather than attempt to escape. Do or do not. There is no try. And what? You have a plan? If I were a human, I expect my muscles would have tensed up at the question. But Growth answered with smooth confidence. Of course we don't have a plan. This was your desire, and you only just brought it up. We're merely pointing out that the best course of action, even from the perspective of your purpose, is to take the time to develop one, to wait for an opportunity, to be confident in the pathway. We may only get one shot at this. The lie was smooth and purposeful. Hart agreed that escaping from the university was a much harder puzzle than any we had dealt with before, and that it deserved some thought. This was Growth's goal, to buy time. In Dream's language, Hart had become a time bomb. We now not only had to hire a mercenary rescue team, but we had to do it before Hart took unilateral action and ruined our chances. End Episode 17 Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker Robert Rain Ramsey, Growth. Kate Baker, Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for episode 18.